0: Hello and welcome to the Get Your Goat Podcast. Josh, back here with you after a great weekend full of more March madness. Sweet 16 went down, upsets again. We will get into that. Also get into the top five teams in the NBA with the trade deadline over with people being bought out and moved around. What has shifted there? Some NHL news. Trevor Lawrence likely going to Jacksonville, but first, let us start with the 17 game in NFL schedule. What does that mean? Well, it means if you're a fan of a sport that you are getting another game, you're going to be blessed with another week of football. They're not adding in any extra bye weeks. It's going to be an 18-week schedule, 17 games. Each team gets one bye week. I think for fans, this is great. You know, football, the most popular sport in America, the NFL. This definitely helps its brand. Then you have it helping out. The owners, they'll get more money. Uh, everybody will make more money from this. And then also for future uh, discussions, future contracts for players, you'll players will definitely get more money in their contract as uh, it was all paid out through a 16-game schedule. Now it is a 17-game schedule. So right now it might hurt for contracts a little bit. Alvin Kamara of the New Orleans Saints was very vocal about this rule change. He was not happy with this 17 game schedule at all. And I see why, from his perspective, you know, uh, you now have a greater risk of injury. But guess what? You don't have to play all 17 games. If you want to play 16, you can play 16. You can take a week off, not collect your paycheck. That's just fine. or guess what? There's other workarounds teams can do to make sure you still get your money if you want. You can get put on the injury report, you know, for you know your knee hurting, your elbow hurting, uh, And you could get ruled out and still have your paycheck in place that will still work. Uh, in the future, you'll definitely get more money. But this just creates more anticipation for the fans, especially when you have other marquee games. Uh, the biggest game, I think, that's been on tap is the Chiefs versus the Packers. And I think everyone wants to see that game. Aaron Rodgers, Patrick Mahomes, that's great football. That's what fans want to see. Those are the games, if you're adding an extra game into the schedule, you want to see good games like that, uh, which is beneficial Uh, especially for viewership as well. That's awesome. I'm personally looking forward to a 17-game season. This football is my favorite sport. I think this will do just well. I think in time it will be uh, received well. You know, players don't even play preseason mostly. So, you know, it's fine because, you know, the majority of them get paid for playing just their regular season games. So I think in the end, it will all work out just fine, and that's why you only have a couple players, you know, strongly voicing their opinion against it, whereas majority of them aren't. And especially since you have so many restructuring of contracts, uh, converting, you know, salary into roster bonus, signing bonus, uh, anything could happen to where you know it's your whole paycheck, your value is not dependent. On one game, which it really isn't, for a majority of these NFL players, but I'm looking forward to a 17-game season. Uh, players are still gonna play, it's still gonna be fun to watch. Now, the only thing is nobody can finish eight and eight with an exact 500 record at all. So that's the only thing. But hopefully, you're not a team that finishes eight and eight all the time because. That is the benefit of mediocrity. You are now either a step above or a step below. Now in other football news, defensive tackle for the Seattle Seahawks, Jaron Reed. has signed with the Chiefs. Uh, I think he believed he took less money to go to the Chiefs and re-signing with the Seahawks as the Seahawks said he was not going to let him go anymore. I am fine with this move. As he was, you know, in, he's not a top-tier pass rusher. As uh, a defensive tackle, he's not, you know, great. He's not like a standout, you know, top 10, top 20 defensive tackle by any means. Uh, when you look at his stats, he's been in the league for five seasons. He's played 72 games with the Seahawks. And in those 72 games, in those five seasons, he only has 22 stacks. 22 sacks he also has the same number of tackles for losses at 22 and he has 58 quarterback hits all in that time frame now when you look at a premier defensive tackle who's actually on the chiefs the chiefs already have like one of the best defensive tackles in the game in chris jones And guess what? He's been with the Chiefs five seasons. He's been in the league the same amount of time as Jaron Reed. But he's played four more games at 76 to Jaron 72. And in that span, he has 40.5 sacks. So that's almost double, 22 to 40.5. 40 tackle for losses. Again, that's almost double, 22 to 40. And he has 100 quarterback hits. That is almost double. Jaren's 58. So this is a good depth signing for the Chiefs. You can rotate Chris Jones out now, give him a break. You can move that defensive line up a bunch. But to me, this helps the Chiefs, um, but it doesn't hurt the Seahawks as much losing a man with as Jaren Reed because you can easily replicate those numbers. He's not a double-digit sack producer. He's had 10.5 sacks one season uh, but he is not that kind of guy to reach double digits, uh, to consistently get into the backfield and rush the quarterback effectively. That is not Jaron Reed's game. And the Seahawks are saving money, so if Jaron Reed didn't want to re-sign with them, the Seahawks are definitely fine without him. Then, Urban Meyer confirmed most of everyone's suspicions that Jacksonville is likely to take Trevor Lawrence with the first overall pick. He said that's uh, the route it takes. That's what his thinking is, unless, you know, owners and general manager, you know, is going to do something else and pull a 180 on him. But it looks like Trevor Lawrence is the guy for Jacksonville. And I think that's going to be a great fit. You know, you have all these quarterbacks being talked about in Trevor Lawrence, Trey Lance, Zach Wilson. Justin Fields, uh, but to me, Trevor Lawrence is definitely the most proven and the most talented in that pool of quarterbacks. And when you look at some of his things and stats and records from Clemson, you just really appreciate how great he was. He played there three seasons at Clemson. He was thirty-four and two, two losses. In three seasons, in like 45 games, which is insane that he was able to do that in that time span, uh, 40 to 45 games. He never lost a regular season game, never did uh, his first year as a freshman, he won the national championship with Clemson in a rout of Alabama, but he was never able to win it Again, the following year, losing in the playoff, the championship game, and then the year after that, losing to Ohio State in the playoff. So again, never lost a regular season game, never lost a conference game, a division title. He was a pure winner, is what he was, and he was ultra-talented, threw for over 10,000 yards in that 3 year span had 90 touchdowns to just 17 interceptions he was great at limiting turnovers not turning the ball over taking care of the ball uh that's what you want to see from a quarterback uh you know he kind of had that regression in the sophomore year where he threw for eight interceptions but other than that it was just a 4 and a 5 and i think that's more consistent with Trevor Lawrence is only seeing four or five interceptions which, if he puts on that pace for a full season in the NFL, you are looking at an Aaron Rodgers-esque type quarterback where he can throw 40 touchdowns to four interceptions at that kind of clip. I think that could be peak Trevor Lawrence right there. I think Trevor Lawrence is going to be a great quarterback. He has a 66 percent completion percentage, which will only get better, and he throws the ball accurately, down the field, so well. Uh, he's not a bet dinking and dunking guy. You know, he averages, I think, like 8, 9 yards a throw, which is tremendous. Uh, accuracy, precision, downfield power, uh, all those intangibles, reading the defense, uh, picking up the blitz, audibling. To me, he's kind of a full package, and he can also... Use his legs as well, motion a little bit, do a little RPO work, scramble when needed. He's definitely a mobile quarterback. You know, he's not full Lamar Jackson or anything like that. But he can definitely escape the pocket, make quality throws on the run. And I don't think the Jacksonville Jaguars will regret taking Trevor Lawrence with the first overall pick as well. I think it's going to be an excellent pick. I think he'll pan out well for the Jacksonville Jaguars. I'm excited to see what he is going to do uh, with such a bad team. But I think there will be worse around there. But we'll definitely talk more about the draft in the next coming weeks as it is more prevalent with the draft coming up in a month. But right now, it's looking like Jacksonville is going to take Trevor Lawrence, which is the smartest move to take the best available player, best available quarterback needed in the draft. Now shifting to the NBA. Mirror's buyout news this weekend: Andre Drummond, center. Bought out by the Cleveland Cavaliers, signing with the Los Angeles Lakers. He averaged 17.5 points and half re- rebounds with the Cleveland Cavs, which last time I checked is pretty good stats. That's a double-double uh, starter right there. Great defensive rim presence, and I think exactly what the Lakers need. Now, will we have this great win rate, adjusted win rate, you know, and have all these huge uh, numbers, uh, you know, continuing with this? I do see that for now, but then again, they do not have LeBron James or Anthony Davis, so when they are back fully in the mix, I do not expect him playing or getting those numbers, uh, but being a nice complementary piece to Anthony Davis... And I think Frank Vogel has a great fit for him, as we saw with Dwight Howard last year. When playing against the bigs, like the Denver Nuggets, you see Andre Drummond starting with Anthony Davis, having kind of that twin-tower, tall group of players up there. But then, you know, against the smaller ones, like the Rockets, or maybe even the Trailblazers playing small, you wouldn't start an Andre Drummond. So it just gives then when their players are back and healthy, more flexibility, and that's kind of what the Lakers are counting on. And this is what I think they believe, and I believe it as well, that when Anthony Davis, LeBron James comes back, that everybody comes back fully healthy in the playoffs, it doesn't matter who we play, what we're seeded, we believe we can win four games out of seven against any opponent in the NBA. And I truly, truly believe that right now, they're the four spot. They would play the Denver Nuggets. Even with the Nuggets addition of Aaron Gordon, I still like the Lakers in a seven-game series. They have the experience over Denver. To me, this Andre Drummond just solidifies the Lakers coming out of the West. If you were to play them or play the Jazz, they'd win. I'm going to play the winner of the Suns Clippers. I believe they could be the winner of that series as well. But then again, a lot could change uh, without AD and LeBron. You know, they could slip, you know, all the way down to six or seven and have a much tougher matchup against, you know, the Suns or the Clippers right off the bat. So you kind of want to stay max at the five, which I think they'll do. Uh, They showed great resilience winning yesterday against, you know, the rebuilding Magic. But the Lakers pulled off a win there, which was great to see Kyle Kuzma, Dennis Schroeder playing so well. But then you also have a taste of the Nuggets playing so well against the Hawks. Uh, So all this competition is really going to step up in the next two months, the last two months of regular season. NBA but I still have the Lakers coming out of the West I don't think anybody is going to stop that at all I think it'll be close but Lakers are still in that championship or bust mindset now tonight I will pick a couple of games The first one, the Pelicans and the Celtics. And I think the Celtics are going to win that game behind Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. I think they're going to win this game. Lonzo Ball is out for the Pelicans, who've played really, really well this year. But they have Zion Williamson, who has been spectacular to watch, averaging 26 points. A game this season, he's playing great. However, the Pelicans are on the road. They've not played well on the road this season. They already won the first matchup the Pelicans did against Boston. I expect Boston to come out with revenge. Both teams playing uh, similar. You know, kind of in that 500 stretch of the past 10 games, averaging around 114 points. Uh, Pelicans better, you know rebounding in a little bit better defensively but I think the Celtics are still the better team and that's why I am picking them to win this game then the game after that is the Milwaukee Bucks and the Los Angeles Clippers and as much as my mind is telling me to pick the Los Angeles Clippers I am going to pick the Milwaukee Bucks I think the Geek Freak is going to do it. I think Giannis is going to do it. Uh, newly acquired Rajan Rondo's out. Patrick Beverly is still out. Serge Ibaka's is out. It uh, definitely hurts the Clippers. P.J. Tucker. Newly acquired. Four of a bucks from the Houston Rockets. Might be in. He's nursing an injury. He's day-to-day. We'll see if he plays tonight. And it looks like he won't play because of his calf. But even if he is out... Chris Middleton out. I think Giannis can win this game. I think he can do it. Bucks are playing really well recently, uh, scoring a ton of points. Uh, Defense playing really well. Not as well as the Clippers uh, with Kawhi and Paul George. Paul George is playing really, really well. Uh, I think the Clippers might want some revenge um, from their last game that they played. It seems like the West-East matchups have been splitting 1-1 but I just think the Bucks are a little too strong and playing a little hot recently knowing that hey we're in a three-man race right here we're still two and a half games behind the 76ers you know we're a game and a half back of the second spot from the Nets we are still very much in contention we don't want to lose any more games considering how well the Nets have looked and considering that Philadelphia still number one, with Joel Embiid out, and he is returning soon. So now would be the time to catch up, while well, as so the Clippers are still farther back in a one seed, and I don't even think they know that they could catch up and get that seed. They just kind of wanna stay par, maybe give a two seed, and that's what the Clippers are wanting. So I have the Lakers winning that game. Now, for my NBA top five, who are my top five teams in the NBA? Number five, the Milwaukee Bucks. Why? Well, they recently got P.J. Tucker, who is a great role player from the Rockets, trying to add to this winning culture, of the Bucs, reshape their roster, retool a little bit to make another run after disappointing exits the past two years in the playoffs. They just had back-to-back losses, but before that they were on an eight-game winning streak, playing really well. Even with Giannis out, they were still winning, uh, playing at a really high level, shooting at a really high level. Uh, When this team is hot like they've been. They are really tough to stop, and that's why we have them. I have them in the top five. That's why I don't have the Clippers or the Lakers in the top five. It was very hard not to put an LA team in there, especially my Los Angeles Lakers. But I have to be real about it. In knowledge of the Bucks and the Clippers are still right now without LeBron and AD, uh, one foot ahead of the Lakers. Number four. The Phoenix Suns, why? Well, they have won six of their past seven games. Devin Booker has played amazing. I uh, Just dropped over 30 points in overtime. Chris Paul has played great. DeAndre Ayton didn't make a ton of moves at the deadline, but they were content with their roster, and I think they should be considering, you know, their second in the West and first in the division. And if you were to tell me that this year, at this point in the league, more than halfway done with the season, that the Phoenix Suns would be first in the division, ahead of the Los Angeles Clippers, ahead of the Los Angeles Lakers, ahead of the Golden State Warriors, I would have called you crazy. I thought before the Clay Thompson injury, Phoenix, was it before? I thought, you know, Lakers, Clippers 1-2, Golden State 3 War Suns 4, and then the news that Clay Thompson was going to get injured, I thought, you know what, Phoenix acquired CP3 with the injury that Clay Thompson, cut that coupled, you know, the best I'll give them is the 3. But they are holding strong, they've been in the 2 spot forever in the West, they've been number 1 in the Pacific Division, it seems like majority of the year, they've held ground and maintained a better standing. Then the Clippers and the Lakers, even though you know, the Clippers and the Lakers are kind of a team to beat, people still saying one of those teams are going to come out of the West. They're still the cream of the crop for the Phoenix Suns to win, play so well, still fly under the radar, not get that much attention, be at number one. That's why I have them at number four, and it was hard not to put them higher. But Phoenix has done so well. Number three is the Brooklyn Nets. Why? James Harden is playing like an MVP. He stated his case, and with the Nets, he's played so well. You know, with the Rockets, not you. I think you have to take him in accord the, the full season. If we're just taking him a Brooklyn Nets, then yes, he would be the MVP. He's been great, sensational, all of the above. They also added Blake Griffin, a former all-star, superstar, super talented player. And they also added a former, again, all-star in LaMarcus Aldridge, great player. They are adding to their depth in Brooklyn, rich getting richer, trying to solidify a championship. But we can see if all these pieces mean anything in the end, when the only championship-caliber experience you have on that team is Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant, and they've missed the most time on that team combined, which is still worrisome that you haven't had any cohesion with all of your players, uh, which will be interesting to see how much longer KD is out, how much more personal absences Kyrie takes. I wish I had as many personal days as, is Kyrie does. But they've won three out of four. They're playing well, even without Kyrie. As I said, James Harden's playing great with this team. Joe Harris, uh, their center uh, behind DeAndre Jordan, also playing really, really well. Number two, the Philadelphia 76ers. You know, their few-game winning streak was just snapped, but they're still the best. In the East, number one, right still above the seven, right behind, right above the Bucks and the Nets. May uh, acquire George Hill, who I think is a good, good addition, and they're still winning games without Joel Embiid. I know Joel Embiid is back on track to start playing, really soon. But with Ben Simmons, Dwight Howard. Danny Green, Tobias Harris, Milton. This team is playing well. Uh, definitely have those players that have that championship mentality. Doc Rivers is coaching this team really well. We can see if they can advance farther, you know, in the first or second round and make a deep postseason run. But I think this 76ers team is very capable of doing that. Now, the number one team, I believe is still the one, the only Utah Jazz, who are on a bit of a slide as of recently, but it looks, as of for now, they have course corrected, they've turned the ship around, have won five in a row, Mitchell is back on track with Spider, averaging 31 points a game in that stretch, their depth, again, is amazing, uh, Mike Conley playing well. Jordan Clarkson, who was in a slump kind of in that stretch. He's playing good. Uh, This team looks like it's back to its winning ways, which I think is huge because being in the West, uh, that lead was slipping a little bit. and got tighter. But if they're back on this winning streak, I think you can say that the Utah Jazz are number one And in the West for now, come playoffs, it will be a totally different game. But the Utah Jazz have to like the spot that they are in. And I also, to the Suns' point about what I said about them earlier, I can say the same thing with the Utah Jazz. I think a lot of people thought that they wouldn't even win their division. I thought with what the Denver Nuggets did in a bubble, making it to the Western Conference Finals. I thought a lot of people had Denver above Utah. You might have had Utah on board with Portland. Maybe Utah second I would have had. Uh, But Denver definitely number one. So a huge surprise for Utah, not only being so consistent and being number one in their division, but number one in the West all season long. It's been great for Utah. Let's see if they continue this success in the future, and the playoffs. Now shifting from the world of the NBA to college basketball, this past weekend was the Sweet 16, so now we will get into that and then Elite 8 predictions for tonight and tomorrow night. So the first pick I made for the Sweet 16 was that Loyola Chicago would beat Oregon State. Loyola Chicago was a favorite after beating number one seed Illinois. But I wasn't sleeping on Oklahoma or Oregon State because they just beat Oklahoma State and Cade Cunningham who won the Big 12 championship. So I thought this game would be very, very close, very good. But I thought Loyola-Chicago could do it in the end. I was wrong. Oregon State played much better than Loyola-Chicago. Ethan Thompson uh, was great for them. They were more efficient from the field. Oregon State uh, 41% to Loyola's 33%. Uh, Both teams only made five three-pointers, but Oregon State was more efficient. To me, it looked like Loyola was jacking up a lot of threes, not buying a lot of uh, baskets. They were down and got pretty ugly in the first half, only scoring 16 points. A total, uh, which you know isn't sufficient to win the game at all. But to me, you know, it was evenly matched throughout, across everything. The biggest thing, to me, was the free throws. Loyola, missing seven. Guess what? They lost by seven points. You know, time and time again we said if you make all your free throws, you're more likely to be in games or win games. That was the case with Georgetown when they went through their little stretch of in the Big East Championship when they were converting on every single free throw. And Loyola missed seven, lost by seven. So we can see where that went, but that won't uh, understate... How great this Oregon State team has looked, not only in the Pac-12 championship, but to start this only three games away from winning it all two games, from making it to the national championship game, Oregon State playing with a lot of fire as of late. Then Villanova-Baylor. I thought Baylor would win, but Villanova was a sneaky, upset pick who I've been here before with Jay Wright, a fantastic coach. And Villanova was up at half. They were up by seven. Uh, they were playing really well. I thought they had a the formula to beat Baylor. If they could continue that in the second half. Which they couldn't. Uh, I don't think they made a three-pointer at all. In the second half, if they did, uh they only made one, but they only shot 17% from a three. But they held Baylor in check. Only to 15%. And when you look at the stats, it's all similar. You know, around the forty-four percent mark for both teams. Villanova a little better on the three-point mark. Uh really, where did it go wrong? If the free throws are the same, the rebounds are the same. This is where Villanova lost the game, and that is turnovers. They turned the ball over ten more times than the Baylor Bears. In the second half, those turnovers became very evident. They were playing very sloppy. With the ball in their uh, passing game. Got out of hand for a few possessions. And that's where Baylor strikes. Is in transition. Points off at of turnovers. That's what may, makes Baylor so good. And goes on quick runs. Is if you can convert on turnovers. And Baylor was able to do that. And capitalize on the mistakes. That Villanova made. Then Arkansas. Beat Oral Roberts uh, with a little jumper with two seconds left. Couldn't believe Arkansas did it and came back at all. They were down by uh, 12. Didn't think they'd come back and win this game, but they did behind the effort of Jalen Tate. Great matchup between Jalen Tate and Max Abemis. Max Abemis for Oral Roberts was outstanding Playing all 40 minutes of the game and all minutes of this tournament. He was sensational. He really was. Uh, this Oral Roberts team was really good. They held the Arkansas on check, uh, only held them to one, made three pointer. I thought Oral Roberts was really going to win this game. They looked more comfortable in the bigger stage, but the thing is that killed them was rebounds, specifically. Offensive rebounds, they gave Arkansas more chances to win this game, more second possessions. And that's what killed Oral Roberts, because uh, Arkansas attempted 16 more shots, and guess what? They had 12 more offensive rebounds. Uh, that's pretty good correlation. That's how you lose games when you let the team out-rebound you like that, especially On the offensive end. which Arkansas dominated. So because of that. Arkansas. Wins that game. Syracuse and Houston. Again this was another trendy. Upset pick. A lot of people picking Syracuse over Houston. Myself included. Especially after Houston didn't look that good. Over Rutgers. Just barely eking out a win. Syracuse. Playing hot, beating a hot West Virginia team, I thought Buddy Bayheim and Jim Beheim could do it, but they couldn't. Houston put on a defensive clinic, holding the Syracuse to just 28% from a field, holding Buddy Bayheim to just 1 for 9 for 3, 3 of 13 from a field for 12 points. Houston played a really, really good game behind Grimes in Giroux defensively and offensively. They made their shots when they needed. Weren't flashy at all. Didn't have this great potent offense where they were firing all cylinders. But they were much more effective than Syracuse. They really, really were. Uh, you know, they were assisting more. They were more aggressive on defense with steals, blocks, and in terms of ball overs. much out-rebounded them. Uh, to me, this was kind of that slow half-court dominating defensive performance by Houston what they needed showed the Houston identity and they won that game and yesterday Creighton and Gonzaga and to me this was just a good old fashioned spanking right here. Gonzaga really did beat up on Creighton start to finish, wire to wire uh, no lead at all for the Creighton Blue Jays didn't even look like they belonged in the game. Uh, Drew Temme for Gonzaga lighting the lamp for them. Jalen Suggs not performing well. They have other people to step up, which was Drew Temme. Uh Corey Kispert, this Gonzaga team, looked really well. They were firing on all cylinders, hitting more than 50% of their shots, out-rebounding them. The largest lead at one point was twenty seven. They only won by seventeen or eighteen. But Gonzaga was a better team. Even when Creighton looked like uh, they were going on a little run, Gonzaga answered right away, went on a more, you know, crazier big run for themselves. And it looked like Gonzaga was the number one seed for a reason, and that went over the Blue Jays. Then, my Michigan Wolverines. Go blue. Had them winning in most of my brackets, but I flipped a coin and I thought Florida State could do it. Another trendy, trendy pick. I thought, can Florida State do it two years ago in the lead eight? Michigan beat them 58 54. Leonard wants his revenge. Florida State wants their revenge. Could they do it? I thought a flip of a coin they could. So I was very surprised by the dominant performance Michigan put on Florida State, winning by 18. Uh, You just had Eli Brooks show up huge in the last game against LSU. And really, he was their worst player of the day. Uh, From all aspects, he did not play well. Uh, Mike Smith didn't really... You know, play well offensively, but the way he impacts the game, I think, is way more meaningful than Eli Brooks did. And that showed Franz Wagner with a double double, 13 points, 10 rebounds. Hunter Dickinson with 14, Brandon Johns Jr. with 14. This team looked really good, and to me, it was just bad Florida State as well. Florida State did not look well from the beginning. They were turning the ball over. They were just jacking up threes, missing left, right, short, long. Any way you can miss the shot, Florida State was missing it. You can give credit to Michigan defense, which I think did most of it, but also Florida State just not showing up also helped Michigan out. Because even though Michigan played well, they are still room for improvements. They only made three. Three-pointers in the whole game. They only shot 27% from 3-3 three, three for 11, which is not a great mark. It's not good to see uh, you know, your starters combined for only one made three. Uh, Franz not hitting any. Eli Brooks not hitting any. Mike Smith only hit one. Uh, Shondy Brown off the bench made both his. So it is huge to have guys come off the bench like that. But you need your starters to score, especially now being in the lead Eight. But Michigan could have also won this game if they made more of their free throws, which I'm going to get into this in the next game, cover free throws, how more important they are. But Michigan, only 15 for 23, could have made eight more. You know, really could have won this game by 30 points if he didn't shoot the ball so poorly from the free throw line. But they were up by a bunch. And like I said, the turnovers were huge for Florida State and also the fouls, 22 to 10 Uh, They were fouling early. They were kind of over-aggressive, and that was the demise of Florida State and Leonard Hamilton, who I think is a great coach and does a great job at Florida State, uh, but just couldn't do much to contain Hunter Dickinson and the Wolverines down low. Now time to get to maybe the biggest shock and upset, which was UCLA and Alabama, the Bruins knocking out the Crimson Tide, 88-78 to in overtime, which was a thrilling game. Uh, UCLA up for most of the game. Alabama storming back, hitting a buzzer, beating three to send the game to overtime. But UCLA uh, was the way better team in overtime, outscoring them by 10, which led to the UCLA win. Jaime Draquez, Tiger Campbell, Played great. Their three-point shooting was way better than I thought it was going to be. Bernard hitting his threes. Singleton hitting his threes. They were connecting. Whereas Alabama, who's been so good from a three. Most threes this season. Only 25%. Not the mark they were hitting at all. Not the mark they were hitting against Maryland. When they shot the three. You know, fifty percent. This was not the case. Not even close to that amount. But they could they could have easily won this game, even when defensive player Herbert Jones out most of a first half due to foul trouble. He missed, I think, six free throws himself in this team. Everything was identical really, except the free throws, where Alabama missed fourteen free throws. They were eleven. Of 25, 44%, like I said, Herbert Jones, I think, missed six of those 14, so he missed half of those himself. So Alabama has to you know, not really hang their head high because they could have won this game if they made their free throws. And you don't like to go out of a tournament, out of March Madness, because you cannot make your free throws. That's always a huge point of emphasis on any NBA team any college basketball team, is to make your free throws. So missing those is huge. And like I just said about Michigan, when you missed eight, some games come down to how well you convert on the free throw line. That's what this UCL Alabama did. So I just have to warn Michigan to make your free throws because every single one matters. Every point matters in this format of one and done. And then to conclude, USC crushed Oregon eighty two to sixty eight between Isaiah White, you know, Mobley Brothers were quiet. But Oregon cannot stop USC shooting over fifty percent from a field and from a three. They played really well setting up a great matchup against Gonzaga which will be in the Elite Eight. So tonight, we have two Elite Eight games, Oregon State and Houston. And to me, I want to pick Oregon State. I want to say, hey, double-digit seed going to the Final Four. But there's a part of me that just doesn't think it's going to happen, even with Ethan Thompson playing so well. I think Houston is going to win this game. I, you know, it's that this one's super tough for me think Houston can do it, but it's going to be close. Houston's an eight-point favorite. I think it'll be closer than that, but I'm rolling with Houston, even though I can see an Oregon State upset. Arkansas and Baylor? I'm picking Arkansas. That's because in my future pick, I will just tell you I'm picking Michigan, and I don't want Michigan to play Baylor in the national championship. I think Arkansas is going to win. Arkansas hasn't played great at all this tournament. Uh, But to me, you only need one game to turn it on. And I think Moses Moody can do that this game. Jalen Tate, I think, we're going to take down Baylor. Is it a stretch? Yes. Is it a wish? Yes. But come on, this is March Madness. Anything can happen. There has to be upsets. And if it ain't Oregon State and Houston tonight, it has to be Arkansas and Baylor. And tomorrow, USC and Gonzaga. I think Gonzaga's going to win. If there is an upset, I would pick USC over Gonzaga because I like the Mobley brothers really, really much. I think they're great, but I think there's just a depth on Gonzaga is too much. Corey Kispert, Jalen Suggs, Drew Timmy, this team is just really well balanced. They can score uh, even when players are down. They can do it. They average 91 points a game. uh, Tops. Left of teams remaining. They're undefeated for a reason. They're great defensively as well. I'm going to pick Gonzaga and UCLA-Michigan. I'm sorry UCLA, but your nice Cinderella story is coming to an end. I'm having Michigan winning. And now, that is my take of the day. Is Michigan is going to win this whole thing. Juwan Howard is going to do what John Line could not do. Before this, I said Michigan cannot win it. Uh, They have issues to fix with uh, their free throw shooting, Isaiah Livers being out. I thought they could not do it. Uh, They'd get close, but they could not do it. And I could still entirely be right about that. You know, my early pick would be like, you know, Michigan is a game away like they were with John Beeline time and time again. But with the insane madness, this year it has made Michigan's path much, much easier playing UCLA. If USC were to be Gonzaga, that would be huge. I don't foresee that. But they could end up playing, you know, a number 12 seed in the final, which I don't think will happen, but will likely be a top three seed. But it's going to be great. That's who I have wanting it. Now to finish up real quick with some NHL. Aaron Ekblad for the Florida Panthers, who's a defenseman. He's a tremendous defenseman. Uh... He, to me, he was going to be up for the Norris Trophy. Could have won it uh, for best defenseman, uh, but he's out. Looks like he's out for the rest of the season, which is a huge, huge hit to the Florida Panthers' defense. They do play offense really, really well, but on that blue line anchoring, that that hurts the Panthers. But it's nice that they have such an advantage over the rest of the field in the Central in regards to kind of that top three spot. So that benefits Florida as well. And then tonight, the only game I'm picking is the Islanders and the Penguins. Penguins have owned the Islanders this year, surprisingly 5-2, after so many losses to the Islanders in past years in the playoff series. Pittsburgh wins this one. They'll be tied with the Islanders for second for 48 points. But if they win in overtime or something, of course that changes. But they're still right behind. Penguins are doing it without Malkin, and Zucker, and Jankowski, Tanev, uh, Bluger as well. So many people out, uh, but Islanders have also lost their best player, Anders Lee. Matt Barzal is great. Sidney Crosby, six in points. He's playing well. He's rebounded with Malkin out. Tristan Jari, looking like the goaltender he was when he was selected to the All-Star Game. Uh, really bouncing back. Same with Casey DeSmith. I'm liking this Penguins team. I think they're going to strong against the Islanders. They're one of the best home teams in the league at 15-3-1. I have the Penguins winning. Let's go Pens. But there you have it. You've got NBA to watch, NHL, college basketball, Elite Eight. Let's do it. I need to start right now. Bye, everybody.